1: Welcome to another wonderful edition of 1111 Talk Radio. It seems like our world is constantly changing in flux, and oftentimes it feels like we are in a swirling tornado of chaos. But that chaos may also be an opportunity for us to balance out, for us to understand what it is asking for, and for how we can show up in the world in a way that we unite humanity. Perhaps that is our sacred task. I am really excited about my guest today, Patrick Paul Garlinger. He is an award-winning author and a conscious channel, and I have had the wonderful delight of featuring him both on the radio show before as well as in the 1111 Magazine with some of his other books. He is a beautiful being, and um, his latest book is very rich in terms of its content and what he is sharing as wisdom for these times a world without identity is the culmination of the messages of its two older siblings, seeds of light focused on our understanding of the self and the nature of human consciousness. And his book, Bending Time, looked at how our collective consciousness has shaped and disordered our relationships with each other, with a particular emphasis on how we relate to time itself. That volume stressed that we do not see each other in the present moment, but through the eyes of the past and accompanied by our previous experiences. This third work, which has released January of 2020, titled A World Without Identity, The Sacred Task of Uniting Humanity, demonstrates how this collective consciousness rooted in separation has created our political, economic, legal, and social systems, and how the Christ consciousness can engage those systems to create real transformation. This is deeply elaborated on Uh, in some of his other work as well, But in this particular book, it is channeled information, and we will go into that also. Nearly a decade ago, Patrick experienced a profound spiritual awakening when he began to meet numerous spiritual teachers and experience higher states of consciousness. While completing his training under a renowned spiritual teacher, he experienced an awakening of his kundalini and channeled a series of works of spiritual wisdom between March and September of 2016. Again, the first volume was Seeds of Light, Channeled Transmissions on Christ's consciousness his second was bending time bending time the power to live in the now and then he also published when thoughts Turn to light a practical guide to spiritual transformation i'd like to welcome patrick paul garlinger to 1111 talk radio as we discuss a world without identity
2: hi simran thank you so much for having me
1: uh, it's always a pleasure to have you here. I love your work, and I love how you are presenting in the world. And I think one of the most powerful aspects of you, which I only recently found out, is that you're not just channeling this information that that feels uh, so present right now in regard to government and law and politics and all of that, but you come from a background where you, uh, you have a law background, you have a background in social change. Uh, it is not as if you are simply speaking words. You have been inside of these worlds as well from the human perspective while also being this channel of wisdom in the divine perspective. Tell a little bit about that, Patrick, so that the audience can hear uh, that unity and polarity within you as we move forward on this book.
2: Oh, thank you so much. That's um, such a beautiful way to start. Yeah, so I am uh, a licensed attorney. And prior to that, I was actually a professor of Spanish literature. So I began in the realm of, of storytelling, uh, of, of narrative. And within that, I did a lot of work around um, issues of gender, sexuality, subjectivity, and identity. And then I felt that there was a limit to the kind of contribution I could make through literature and literary analysis from within academia. So, I, I trans, transitioned to the law. And within the law, I experienced uh, litigation, criminal defense, immigration. I've worked in environmental work. I've done um, volunteer work at the level of policy, working with nonprofit organizations, um, speaking with legislators. So, I've I really got an inside view of kind of the workings of power in our in our society. And that's what the law really is is sort of the language of power.
1: From the perspective that I come from uh, around signs, symbols, conversations with the universe, what you've said already is quite profound, that you began as a professor of storytelling. And when I look at the world, particularly, um, in, in having dealt in areas of the law myself and, and being closely related to people in politics, what I see there is it is a lot of story. It is almost storytelling going on. Some of it fictional, some of it nonfictional, <laughs> but it's a whole lot of story that we have to deal with and try to decipher to. And then you also come from this law perspective. And when we look at law, we think of man's law, but there is also a divine law that is taking place as well. And oftentimes I think as human beings, we forget that divine law is always working on our behalf as well. In the context of the work, a world without identity, what is the distinction and the place for us to ground in when it comes to human law and divine law?
2: Mm, such a great question. Is, um. I think one of the the place to ground is sort of well let me take a step back and say that when it comes to human law right we're always managing human conflict which is based on our sense of separation and how we are capable of inflicting a great deal of harm on each other and in, in that respect when we do that We're already, in some way or another, not, we might draw the conclusion, we're not fully in alignment with divine law. On the other hand, and then we bring in human law to try to correct this. And human law has uh, a great deal of limitations in terms of how it can actually understand what's happening between people. Right. So when you have a conflict and you're looking for some sense of balance and justice, um, you might receive money damages, somebody might go to jail. You know, you see these sorts of conflicts playing out and you think, um, uh, you know, justice is either being served or it's not being served. But when we look at it from divine law, you have to step back and sort of say a, a bigger picture, you know, what's happening in a particular case may not necessarily be contrary to divine law. So when we have cases of real injustice where we think somebody should have been imprisoned, right, or these things are happening and they're really terrible and they're in violation of the law, it doesn't mean that we acquiesce and say, oh, well, you know, if that's okay, divine law is got us. But we do have to look at it and say, maybe this is playing a different role, a much larger role. Um, Sometimes court cases or things that are happening in human law don't go the way of justice because then it actually galvanizes a much broader shift in consciousness. And I'm thinking here of examples like all of the cases involving um, police brutality against african-americans in our society where there's been an inability to actually convict police officers um you can say that's a failure of justice but from a divine law perspective we have to step back and say is actually is this actually galvanizing a greater capacity or shift for us to then actually grapple with these tremendously huge issues of systemic racism in our country
1: yeah, I can see that playing out in a lot of places. When we think about some of the issues with women, the Me Too movement, or we look at, you know, the state of politics or um, types of things that happen like that, it's very easy to uh, put out the hue and cry of you know this is wrong, this should never have happened, and 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 be one of those people along the way that felt the injustices of it. But yet, it's also those people that played the role in building the wave to have something on that bigger scale come forth to where more people could have justice Um, is that is that kind of the same that you're talking about
2: exactly that's exactly right and so you you can hold the perspective of like yes uh, even on a on a on a human level justice wasn't served here and on a divine level justice wasn't fulfilled but it's leading us to to an even greater possibility. Um, I think that holding those dual perspective, that dual perspective is really important.
1: In your book, you write, even those of us who have cultivated feelings of connection, peace, and equanimity through spiritual practices often relinquish that mindset when engaging with these thorny topics. The task is made all the more difficult by many members of the public who don't have the spiritual connection at all and who routinely resort to the name-calling, trolling, and other divisive means of engagement. As a result, the language of our everyday interactions, primarily through social media, displays of all negative aspects of our egos, including judgment, discrimination, and emotional reactivity. And within this book, A World Without Identity, your message is that our normal methods of engaging these domains and creating change end up replicating the very structure of separation that originally produced the divisions and unequal society in the first place. And so it doesn't matter whether we are spiritual or non-spiritual, if we are continuing to engage in any way, whether it is being complicit, whether it is being reactive, whether it is turning away, we're allowing these very ideas and energies of separation to continue to permeate.
2: Absolutely. And this is an incredibly difficult task. I don't want to minimize it at all, or even to suggest that I am somehow um, in a place personally where I don't fall prey to this, because it's an enormous amount of energy that we grapple with. But I, I do witness it all the time with people who very much pledge within interpersonal relationships to see each other as divine beings or recognize each other in an act of co-creation or see each other as mirroring what's uh, happening. And yet then when they turn to politics, you know, it's, you know, this person is awful or this party is awful or this this group of people is awful. And it's really that structure of mind that um, that the book says is really at the root of all of it. If you can just keep replicating that separation and your ability to either say, this isn't me, so you can bypass it all, or I'm just going to go ahead and throw lots of firebombs at people and tell you that you're awful, horrible human beings and should be wiped from the planet, whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, you've replicated the very structure of mind that leads to the situation that we're experiencing as lived reality.
1: This book is a channeled text and you speak about a council that has brought forth this information through you. And I want to start there, you know, so that people understand a little bit about a channeled text. I love how you introduced it in the beginning of the book. And I know for myself as, as someone who does channel information that there are people that believe in it and there are people that don't, there are, there are times when publishers want channeled text and then there are times when they completely turn away from them. Uh, Give a little bit of an explanation to this because, in my mind, we all are some type of channel art, music, uh, cinema, uh, gardening there's all different forms of channeling. Talk a little bit about your how you would express that this channeling uh, is to be experienced and uh, how you would desire people to take in the information so that they can come from a place of openness when they're experiencing it.
2: Yes. Well, I want to say first is you're absolutely right that everyone is, in a sense, a channel because we're all connected to source. It's all coming through us. And in fact, our entire life expression is an expression of source coming through us. So I absolutely believe that when you're involved in painting, art, music, cinema, writing all of these expressions that really in a way allow us to touch uh, a place or a core or an energy beyond our individual personality and identity where we know that we're whole and complete and loved is open to all of us. Um, I have a a particular experience with channeling that I'm, happy to to dive in and explain.
1: Patrick, I'd love for you to share that experience when we come back from the commercial break. For now, I want to share that a world without identity has a message that if we want to transform our society, we must engage each of these realms with the same kind of love and compassion that we bring to ourselves and to our relationships when we are on a spiritual path. In regard to the Council's message, is that our relationship to this broader sphere is no different than our relationship to any other single person. We must enter those domains with the same level of intentionality, compassion, and love that we use when we seek to heal an interpersonal relationship. This is from the book, A World Without Identity, The Sacred Task of Uniting Humanity by Patrick Paul Garlinger. You can find out more about this book as well as his other books and any upcoming events at his website patrickpaulgarlinger.com. You'll find his website in the description as well as on the author page, along with a forgiveness course that he has created for the 1111 Magazine Mastermind Community. So check out those links during the commercial break, and we'll be right back after these messages.
0: Discovering the heart and stepping into conscious living. 1111 magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com.
3: Do you want more more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides, and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go, and chart a new course. Dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com change begins with you let it be simple convenient and transformative the time is now step through the 1111 gateway courses.1111mag.com you are listening to
0: 1111 talk radio Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio.
1: My guest today is Patrick Paul Garlinger, and he is an award-winning author and conscious channel. I invite you to check out his other books, Seeds of Light, as well as Bending Time. Uh, they are wonderful books, and his latest one is A World Without Identity, as The Sacred Task of Uniting Humanity. Here's a passage from the book. A world without identity is a world that is united by its shared commitment to that inexhaustible variety of human beings. When we embrace difference as the fundamental truth of who we are, then we will see our political, economic, legal, and social systems shift and transform over time into reflections of that diversity. Contrary to what the ego tells us, we will find unity by embracing the difference. Our systems right now are a reflection of our fears around our differences as we participate in those fields and ask how they can be more inclusive and as we act with the belief that we are all one. Those systems will come to reflect our inherent oneness. Again, this is from the book, A World Without Identity. And you can find out more about Patrick at patrickpaulgarlinger.com. Welcome back, Patrick. Um, I want to go back to that story, the channeled story. But first, I'd love to speak a little bit about the passage that I just read. It does appear that we are starting to see that diversity uh, unearthed. We are seeing more women In Congress, we are seeing more nationalities, different nationalities that are taking different types of offices. We are seeing different types of groups that are rising up and allowing their voices to be heard and allowing themselves to have their identities and be seen. Uh, And yet, amidst all that, it seems like the divisiveness is growing. Is that par for the course initially that all that divisiveness has to? Uh, kind of bubble up as the, the remaining separation that exists and that it will settle down, you think? Or do you think that it is purely the mirror of separation that still needs to be addressed?
2: Mm, such a wonderful way to put that that question. I, I believe that we are, it is bubbling up, and you described it perfectly, of sort of the increasing diversity where more and more people are being seen and recognized and have a place and um in response it often feels and it appears that uh it, there's a kind of a backlash right there's a sort of uh a, a response to that that uh where people feel threatened so we have the rise of white supremacists um who engage in increasingly violent acts to say no, this is not the way the world should be. Or we have incredibly strong xenophobic tendencies that say we don't want people coming in and altering what our country looks like. And the, the, the big message, and this is in the title, <clears throat> excuse me, but it draws from the previous works, is that the, the council absolutely recognizes that we want each of us. To have a place, to be seen and recognized, to feel that we belong in this world, and that we often do this around a sense of identity, and then we create categories of identity. Um, but we, as a part and part of that process is that we're always engaged, then in constantly managing our identity and defending against it, because we perceive ourselves as separate. That those those differences actually, have some deeper core meaning and values attached to them like that like and this is how we've seen this with we've seen it with race see it with sexual orientation often those identity categories emerge from a dominant group that feels threatened by a difference it perceives and so it creates an identity category to sort of protect itself and then the subjugated minority group has to respond and say, no, 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 we're valuable. Our identity is actually beneficial, but we're still in this sort of oppositional dynamic when that oppositional dynamic is a construction. We've created it um, out of fear that those differences are somehow threatening. And so ultimately, we would come to a place where all of our differences wouldn't be ignored But they wouldn't be the place where we hang our sense of self, either. And I don't know what that actually fully looks like, but that's what they're getting at.
1: Yeah, you wrote a really powerful passage um, that was about the foundational premise of this book, and it says that the structures of your political realm, your legal system, and your economy all depend on this trope of separation. It is all designed based on this perception of the world and how to manage it. These are all structures born of the same consciousness that sees itself as existing in separation. These are, in short, all separation-based structures, and it is the fundamental foundation that makes them incapable of handling much of what is occurring on the planet now. And so if these structures have been based on separation and what we are doing is bringing more light and compassion and love to the planet, Um, even if it's a smaller percentage of people that has more power than the negativity would, then it would have to start crumbling these structures. And that's a lot of what people are feeling and experiencing and seeing on the news right now is more of the rumbling and the crumbling of the earthquake underneath these structures. That is entirely right. And
2: it's very frightening, right? We're, if I can draw from an astrology kind of perspective, this is kind of like the global tower card being presented. Right? Mm. Like things are starting to fall apart. And you're seeing that in structures that are disintegrating, um, the rise of very um alt-right movements, very, very conservative movements, because that structure, patriarchal, um, racist, um, nationalist structures are, you know, crumbling and yet they don't want to go away. Right. So you see the rise of these structures that are, of this, of these energy through politicians who are like, no, 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 we will absolutely not, um, allow for, uh, you know, here, you know, economic equality, um, open borders, um, all of the all of the changes that have been happening are, are, are now creating a huge amount of destabilization. And we look at the world and think, oh no, things are falling apart. And one of the very last messages, it was sort of the coda to the book, was everything's falling apart and it's okay. This is globally like the healing crisis that somebody has, individually a kind of dark night of the soul where you look back and go this feels awful but it's actually okay like i can look back and see this as a blessing in disguise Um, but it's very hard to look at the world and not feel threatened by that
1: yeah i love that this it's like a healing crisis for the soul this is almost like the it's the soul of the world, you know. Yes. That is that is that is crying out. You talk about the core emotion of fear, being another underpinning, and what is so dominant of every institution that we build. And and you begin with really talking about where it begins initially, and and that happens to be schools. The limitation, the fear, uh, that is where it infiltrates us as a foundation in the beginning. Talk a little bit about the schools and the fear and, and how uh, the council saw that.
2: Yeah, I, I was surprised by this message. Um, I, you know, in a way, I understood and I've always looked at schools, partly because I have a background um, from literary studies, that um, drawing from the French philosopher Michel Foucault that could see schools as a way that we inculcate values, right? That we line students up in desks, um, they're structured very rigidly according to pre-programmed lessons we group by ages it's very rigid um, but it's also a place where it's a tremendous amount of fear of authority is established tremendous amounts of fear of disapproval are established because they move quickly into this mechanism of disapproval. So much of our education system is about getting good grades, learning approval, um, approval and disapproval from peers. Um, so they really begin with this idea that um, schools are, are this kind of incubator for um, this mechanism of fear and fear of disapproval um, being the primary one, and we can kind of see this now globally. The ways in which schools have been such a major target for gun violence, and how to handle that, and whether we should have guns in schools—you know—really as kind of a locus of safety and threat, um, all in one.
1: Yeah, there is just a line in here. We see this as a manifestation of your deep absorption and rapture to sep- with separation. And that just struck me so strongly, the rapture with separation, because I don't think we really realize that we are enraptured by that as well. We we like a level of the separation and the being different and the pushing away and the hierarchy. That too is part of what's been ingrained in us and conditioned to us to to see life that way, to want life that way, to to want the trophy, to be the best, to uh, to be the hero at the end of the journey above all others. It's it's mm. kind of part of everything from our foundational basics all the way even to to some of the spiritual foundations that we end up hearing um, retouted or repackaged by by individuals.
2: That's exactly right, and you know. And what's fascinating is you see this. Um, anybody who, well, all of us have gone through life, sort of looking, sort of trying to figure out who am I, right? You know, there's this question of like, who am I, and whether you become a product of your parents, your friends. You know, so that you're looking for individua- uh, individuation, and looking to distinguish yourself. And there's a we prize being unique and we prize, uh, and you see that in generations, right? Who then, you know, kids reject, you know, the previous generation's ways of doing things and ways of speaking. And in a way, it's not that we ever have to, this is the other main message, it's not that we go into conformity. It's not that this is some sort of totalitarian regime where, you know, you have to be one way. It's that, and again, this is a structure of mind that I think is is new. It's a consciousness that's new. It's still being birthed on the planet. Of What does it mean to see yourself as unique and not separate from somebody else? It's almost a paradox, right? Holding I was going to say that. Yeah
1: yeah there's a a real fine line, a distinction between those two, because we're here to be individual and distinct, and you're saying diversity is good. and yet, but but we don't want the separation quality of that. and i I think one way that it was very powerfully stated and and the channels even the council even stated that you were uncomfortable with this topic, but it had to do with uh, pro life or pro choice,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: and the neutrality of which the, new, the universe sees that, but yet we get very anchored in what we see as right or wrong or what the identity wants. And so we are here to we are a world without identity or to be a world without identity, and yet we are all identities. So, where is how do we? Uh, absorb that and integrate that paradox.
2: Yeah, I, I and I think it comes down to that incubation of fear, or that that, that sense of fear and a, approval that almost always our our mind and people will talk about this in terms of sort of our you know sort of reptilian brain or fight or flight response. That any difference that we perceive, we're instantly evaluating it, whether it's a potential threat to us. We operate at a level of sameness. So if we, if we share the same kind of qualities, then my sense of identity, then I'm not, my existence isn't threatened by you. And I think it's a world where we don't see difference in any way as threatening to the self's existence. So we do live in a world where we physically, we experience each other as physically separate and yet we're constantly kind of navigating whether we're safe. So it's a world that wouldn't see those differences as, as, um, as in any way a real threat to the self. And admittedly, that is not a world that we inhabit. Uh, virtually everything we talk about and all of our systems are about dealing with threat.
1: The Council isn't interested in telling us precisely how our criminal justice system or government should be changed. Rather, we must ourselves move toward those reforms, remaining vigilant against ways we might fall back into separation. We also have to abandon our usual metrics and time horizons for change. All too often, we are wedded to the idea that an election, particularly the election of our nation's president, will usher in a wholesale and radical transformation of our political system. We cast a vote thinking that one person's installment as the executive of our country will be enough. Then when changes do not appear to happen, we become despondent and cynical. We resort to blame, judgment, and dismissal. But the Council is clear here, too. We cannot expect changes to happen that quickly, or even in our lifetime. The horizon for change is much longer, and therefore it is the intention with which we cast our votes or engage in any way with our systems of governance that matters. In sum, it is more important that you cast your vote with the intention of uniting humanity than with the intention that your candidate win. This is from the book, A World Without Identity, The Sacred Task of Uniting Humanity. It's written by Patrick Paul Garlinger. You can find out more about him at patrickpaulgarlinger.com. Definitely sign up for his newsletter so that you can stay abreast of his other Events that are coming up, in addition to his course, uh, the Freedom of Forgiveness on the eleven eleven mastermind community, and his prior books, Seeds of Light and Bending Time. We'll be right back with Patrick.
3: It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed.
0: Discovering the Heart and Stepping into Conscious Living, 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com, 1111mag.com. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IMSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio.
1: Welcome back. My guest today is Patrick Paul Garlinger. He is the author of Seeds of Light and Bending Time, and now his latest release, A World Without Identity, The Sacred Task of Uniting Humanity. He is an author and a channel uh, and has done a series of channeled works that you can dive right into. This particular book uh, will definitely be something that addresses where we are right now today, particularly in regard to many of the institutions that are in our world and seem to govern our life experience. And so it is important for you as an individual to understand your part in in sacreding the task of uniting humanity. And I invite you to explore this book for yourself. It's beautifully written. The mirroring of your internal state at the national political level is further reflected in the way that you relate to the rest of the world. And in particular, your commitment to war. Your penchant for war leads the United States to act as a type of global police officer who patrols the world in an effort to ensure that its vision of global peace is adopted and reinforced. The United States relates to the rest of the world in terms of its supposed extraordinariness and uniqueness, and then proposes to set itself up as an arbiter of how the world is to be. And this is to be applauded on one level, for the United States is exceptional in many respects with regard to its foundational efforts, and in particular, its original commitment to the freedom of speech and certain type of equality. That the United States has not lived up to its original foundation is not an issue here, We can speak at great lengths about the history of slavery in this country, the legacy of discrimination, and the problems that beset its current state. But our concern here is its effort on a global level to set itself up as the patrolman, as the entity that enforces and keeps others in check. This is part of the warmongering chapter in a world without identity. And I want to dive into this piece because it seems when I read about this part and how we do patrol other parts of the world and how we do put our hands sometimes in other people's business, that that is a deep level of codependency that we as a nation are participating in and that that creates its own um, kind of uh, repercussions to us. Talk a little bit about the machinery of war and the policing on a global sale and how this this plays out as the engine of war in many ways, how it ripples out in many directions to impact us both as a nation, uh, but also as individuals.
2: Yes. So I think that, you know, the first piece is the ways in which, you know, uh, they point to how much we have, influenced other nations, gone to war with other nations, fomented war with other nations. In in many ways, you know, we don't learn about these things until later when we hear about the ways in which our government has, you know, behind the scenes supplied weapons or engaged in acts. And, um, and then we later realize that we have engendered opposition and hostility and hatred to us, towards us. So, um, you know we're co-creating um, on on uh, on a global level. You referred to repercussions. We, we we create the circumstances, the conditions that give rise to the incredible hatred um, and you know the the war on terror that ultimately resulted from you know government actions against other nations, where we said we're going to go in and we're going to. Change regimes and do things, and we we attempt to force things to conform to what we believe is right for another nation. Um, and we don't think of that; uh, we think, oh, we're spreading democracy, as opposed to creating an enemy. And so then we we live with those repercussions. Um, but it's also the ways in which um, we continue and this is how it affects us individually and and, uh, in this country, that we do have a kind of endless war mindset that our sense, our individual sense of insecurity is then magnified at a national level as a national insecurity, which then we actually create by going out in the world and trying to do things that create the very enemies that do make us um, unsafe. And then we create Uh, an incredible war complex, right, that dominates our national budget. So much of our resources actually go to national defense. Um, It's kind of, if you step back and say, it's kind of crazy that we've created a system where we need to supply the majority of our economic resources to defend ourselves against threats That we ourselves have created.
1: Mm, mm, That's powerful right there. And as you were talking, I was thinking about how we as individuals play a part in that, because you were saying that we kind of come from this war consciousness. But if you even listen to our language sometime, um, even in the business realm, you know, Mm. you you can see people on social media or hear people talking and they say, oh, I'm going to kill it this week. Or, you know, there are just certain terms that are used on so many levels that, are all about violence, and yet they're used in this celebratory kind of manner as if that is achievement and success. Uh, So that's very, very powerful. The other piece that you brought up was about how we create that very thing that then we need to defend ourselves from. And so often, when we look at anything, uh, it comes down to money. If we just follow the money, we then also find the self-interest, and then we also find the corruption, and it kind of yes. is this thread that keeps on going. So, talk a little bit, because you you touch on each of these topics in a, in a powerful way within this book. Talk a little bit about… Um, either the self-interest or the money or the corruption in politics, wherever you'd like to go. In that
2: yes. Case. Well, you hinted, at, you know, the money is definitely connected to a, a sense of greed and lack and not having enough. And, um, you know, we see that in the unbelievable economic disparity that we have now where um, so much, I don't even know what the statistics are currently of, you know the um, amount of money held by billionaires that um, compared to the the rest of the nation um, where you know we're debating whether taxing them which would still leave them as billionaires is somehow you know unfair and that then gets tied to an enormous amount of um, influence politically um, on politicians. And the, and the council definitely gets into our relationship to self-interest and and corruption in politics. And you see that consistently in politics, right? Like it's a constant discussion of corruption. Um, and we are founded on this belief that we have a representative democracy where the representative is beholden to its constituents. But in reality, um, politicians are... Beholden to their self-interest, which is staying in their position. Mm. And we have a system now that you know equates money with speech. And therefore, those who have the money can influence a great deal more. But ultimately, it comes down to self-interest. And you see that in the ways in which politicians ultimately do cast votes that aren't necessarily reflective of what their constituents want but what they need to stay in power. And that is a very demoralizing place for a country where, um, you know, ultimately the mechanism that you would have to change this, right, which is to uh, reform the tax laws, is absolutely um, impossible when the people that enact those laws are beholden to the monetary interests of those who have the, who have money.
1: Money ultimately boils down to how we value or feel valued. And it Mm -hmm. also has this undercurrent energy of relationship. And so when we look at that, and then we also look at the justice system and, and how we are placing value on people in that way as well how do we come to a new model of unity and justice from the places of separation and fear and approval and conformity and hierarchy?
2: Mm, right. So you alluded to this earlier, which is that you know the council is very clear that the time horizon is far away, and that um, you know we tend to want change to happen very quickly. Um, it's actually kind of a paradox of, of another one of our paradoxes as humans. is that we all want things to be different, but none of us wants to change.
3: <laughs> we fear change,
2: but we want everything to be different. So we have these sort of artificial time horizons like, oh, every four years, and we're going to get a new president. And we hear a lot of unity talk, who's going to unite the country. And yet all of that is based, founded on a, a rhetoric of, uh, of war, of fighting, right? That one side is going to fight the other, which you mm-hmm. alluded to, this is that we already have. And so we very quickly, um, we, we place a lot of energy on these sort of very, very small Structural changes, and then we have these ideas of like, oh, we do need to reform our criminal justice system, or we do need to do these things. Um, and ultimately, though, what the council's message is is that when we're when we're going about making these changes, we're ultimately managing, you know, our fear uh, of around threats. So our criminal justice system, which is Founded on imprisonment, um, you know, doesn't ever really grapple with the root causes of why people end up committing crimes, why they go to prison, and then what their life is like afterwards, and the consequences on people. Um, the consequences on of imprisonment are are just devastating to communities and to individuals. Um, and and so we we, we basically see a, a problem, right? Somebody has committed a crime, and we isolate them, we separate them, and then they return, and then they're still isolated. They're branded as felons. They have a very difficult time getting jobs. So in a way, we never really grapple and say, how? How do we actually bring these people back into the fold of our society without looking at them as threats? Um, and you see that in small ways when people begin to think about different community measures for handling crimes like forgiveness and and things like that, but it's they're very small amounts of that
1: mm. so we are Coming to the end of the show, and I just want to thank you, Patrick, for your um, your amazing work. I think this is a groundbreaking work of Channel Wisdom, and um, it is beautifully presenting these two opposites, um, particularly for people in the spiritual field. I think so often we we want to turn our heads away, or we don't want to be a part of that, or we don't feel like we're adept enough to even engage in those aspects of the world, and yet— It is all spiritual. I'm going to read one last passage from this book, A World Without Identity, The Sacred Task of Uniting Humanity. As you ascend and embark on this new journey together, as you all face the darkness that you have yourselves created and manifested in this realm, as co-creators, as the seeds of light, as the slivers of the creator that you are, you are embarking on a tremendously difficult journey. Do not be afraid. Do not fear what is to come, even though it will ask more of you than you have ever been asked, for you are now embarking on a tremendous path of acceleration, of ascension, of moving beyond the paradigms that separate you and have set forth the terms by which you can claim existence, by which you can live in this world. Those are dissolving, and they are not to be recreated. As you create something anew, your old creations, the creations of patriarchy and identity, Politics are falling by the wayside. Yes, you are moving toward unity. That means the flimsy architecture that you have built to support yourselves, to support your subjectivity, must now be dismantled. That entity will not go softly into the night, as you like to say, for it exists and wishes to hold on to itself. Be strong. Be courageous. You are always loved and supported by the universe, by the light, by all that is, for you are a part of this very matrix this entire web of light that is the universe, the living, breathing, knowing universe. With that, we are complete. I invite you to join me with my guest next week, Bob Hallman. Definitely check out Patrick Paul Garlinger's website, patrickpaulgarlinger.com. Until then, in love, of love, with love, and as love, I am Simran. Be well.